So, we did the men's shotgun Saturday yesterday. That's right. I didn't even get to shoot my own shotgun the whole time. Everybody shot all the shells before I got to it. But I did kill a bird driving there. <laughs> driving out of San Diego. We're like, it's all boom. We're all like, ah! Guy in the car behind us like, saw this bird go, ding! Yeah, well, God, watch out on the way out the parking lot if I'm driving. I'm just... It happens like that at times. Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. If you have a smartphone, you get an app called Uversion. You download that, click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS. You can get all the verses, all the sermon notes, as well as the questions that are in the back of the sermon notes as well. Uh, just to reiterate the last part of the announcements, uh, if you uh, part of FPU, maybe you haven't gone for a couple of weeks, Financial Peace University, this Wednesday again is the last one. You should come to this one and bring food because it's all about making sure I got cookies and food. So show up. It'll be all right. Why don't you stand there and read God's word? Tough, tough crowd. It's Isaiah chapter 29, verse 9. <laughs> you never think verses like this would be in the Bible, but it's great. Be stunned and amazed. Blind yourselves and be sightless. Be drunk, but not from wine. Stagger, but not from beer. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we are people who would be stunned and amazed by the great and awesome things that you do as our God, and that we would then live as children of our great and glorious Father, children who bring you great honor by how we live our lives. Amen. Let me see. So we're in the book of Lamentations. Uh, this is chapter 4 today, but I want you to open to chapter 1 because that's how we start. got to go through the whole thing to get where we're going like normal. If you've been to all the weeks of this, you're probably depressed at this point, but that's okay. Just smile your way through it. You'll be okay on your side. Lamentations is almost about the absence of the presence of God. And I say almost because if you actually read it and you get into the book of Lamentations, what you see is that God is very present in the book. It is five poems in Hebrew where the city of Jerusalem has been smashed to pieces and its people have been hauled away. And the few that remain in Jerusalem are mourning and grieving the absolute devastation that they are experiencing. The city gets personified as a woman. In Lamentations 1.1, a narrator starts the whole thing. He is very objective. He stands apart and he kind of just says what's going on. Lamentations 1.1 starts, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who was once great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave so she has gone from queen to slave like a woman whose husband has died in verse 2 it says among all her lovers there is none to comfort her so she is all alone in verse 9 the city finally speaks and she only says a short line she says look O lord on my affliction it's all she can say it's all she gets out and the narrator kicks back in as the narrator talks a little bit more the woman then gains a little more courage and speaks more in verse 12 she says is it nothing to you all who pass by look around and see is any suffering like my suffering she wants to know if someone can hear and see what's going on with her the first word of the book of lamentations is the word akat it means how and that is what she is asking how is this happening why is this happening now in chapter two the objective reporter who's been standing at a distance looking at the woman saying it's it's all her fault he then loses his objectivity and he starts to feel the pain of the woman. In chapter 2, verse 11, he says, My eyes fail from weeping. In verse 13, he says, What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? 
When he first shows up, he is pointing his finger at her. He's like, she had what's coming. She reaped what she sowed. He uses the word whore, harlot, slut. And then 30 verses in, his heart caves and he melts and he walks along beside her and he calls her virgin daughter. In chapter 3, a third character shows up. This is the Geber. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, I am the man who has seen affliction. A Geber is a military strong man, a defender of the weak. The woman in chapter 1, verse 9 says, Look, O Lord, on my affliction. In chapter 3, verse 1, the Geber shows up and says, I am the man who has seen affliction. Both words for affliction are the exact same word. It's an act of solidarity. This guy is fresh from the battle. He has seen it. And he says, I have seen your affliction. I know what it feels like. In chapter 3, verse 2, the guy goes into a rant talking about God. He says, He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Verse 5, He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. Verse 6, He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Verse 7, He has walled me in. Verse 9, He has barred my way. Verse 16, He has broken my teeth with gravel. Now, we don't recommend you try breaking teeth with gravel at home because we call it curbing and you can get arrested for it. It's not a good thing. But he says, This is what God has done to me. He has given me despair. He has brought me low. He has hammered me so hard that I don't even feel human anymore. But then in verse 21, he offers this little bit. He says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the midst of all the things that's going on, he has hope. What the Geber does is he shows up and he begins to make a scene. If you were in public and you saw somebody make a scene like this, you'd be very uncomfortable. You'd think, it's time for us to leave. Check, please, because you'd want to go and and get out of there. But this is what the narrator actually told the woman to do in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears flow like a river. So the strong man shows him, he's all right, I'm going to let it flow, and he just lets it out. He's doing what the narrator told the woman to do. Chapter 2, verse 19. Arise, cry out in the night. As the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. So they're making a scene. Now, so you can get an idea of what this looks like. I have a video clip to show you. And you'll be like, oh, that's what it means. Okay, God. You want me to talk to you? Talk back. Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. Please send me a sign. Oh, what's this Joker doing now? Okay. All right. I'll try it your way. All right. Lord, I need a miracle. I'm desperate. I need your help, Lord. Please. Reach into my life. Uh, what the?
Smiter! You're the one who should be fired! The only one around here not doing his job is you! Answer me! This is chapter one, two, and three. Oh, mighty Smiter! That's, that's one, two, and three. It's a scene. It's raw. It's visceral. It's crying out. Some sort of hope. Can't you see? And by chapter 3, verse 22, he says this, though. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never, never fail. And what you see is his rant and his raving and his hope all sit alongside his lamentation and his pain and his rage and his betrayal and his spewing and all the fist shaking. It's side by side. And then you get to chapter 4. So open to Lamentations chapter 4, verse 1. Lamentations 4 goes back to the narrator. And it starts like this. How the gold has lost its luster. The fine gold, the fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at the head of every street. How the precious sons of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of the potter's hand. This is how the gold has lost its luster. This is a totally different tone than all the other poems' lamentations so far. This is not arg, smiter. This is sign. This is resignation. In technical terms, this is what we call the poetics of diminishment. And so in order for you to get this and what it means, I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hebrew. Don't worry, it's not going to be too difficult. It'll take no time at all. People ask you, what did you learn in element? You say, I learned Hebrew. And in about a minute, you know as much as I do, so you'll be okay. Uh, th- this, is, this is chapter 4, verse 1 in Hebrew. Okay, this is, this is what it looks like. And because most of you can't look at this and go, oh, reading right to left, this is what it says. What, this is, what uh, Bible translators do is they give you what's called transliteration. They take words and, or vowels and consonants in English and they put it underneath it so you could read it if you wanted to actually say the word. So that's what it would look like. But you still don't know what it means, right? It's like, this, this is great. And wonderful. Now, in your Bibles, open to Lamentations 1. Tell me how many verses are in Lamentations chapter 1. 22. Okay? Look at chapter 2. How many verses? 22. Oh, grasshopper. There's a pattern here. Go to chapter 3. How many verses? 66. Go to chapter 4. How many verses? 22. Now, there are 22 letters, as I said, in the Hebrew alphabet. The author actually builds into this the structure in this poem of reflections about what he is saying. Now, go to the next slide. This is the word ekah in Hebrew. All right, the ekah, this is like chapter 1, 1, how. Chapter 4, verse 1, how. Like, how deserted lies the city. Now, hit the next thing. This is the letter aleph in Hebrew. Okay, aleph. This is like our letter A. And so, if you look in chapter 1, verse 1, it actually starts with Aleph. Now, hit enter again. This is the word Bekah. It means, it means uh, weeps. And if you look in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, bitterly she weeps. And actually, in Hebrew, it's she weeps bitterly. So, this is the word for weeps, and this is, this is Bet. Okay, this is the second. Chapter 1, verse 1 starts Aleph. Chapter 1, verse 2 starts Bet. Chapter 1, verse 3 starts Gimel, which is the third letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 1, verse 4 starts Dalit, which is the fourth. And so you look through chapter 1, every single verse in this starts with the, with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You go to chapter 2, verse 1 starts the same thing. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit. It goes through it. 
Chapter 1 and verse, chapter one and 2 actually go through Aleph to Tav, like A, A to Z. You get to chapter 6, when there's 66 verses and the strong man shows up, he's just letting this rip. He is like, my teeth have been broken with gravel. He has walled me in with darkness. My heart is pierced. The intensity raises and it goes to 66 verses and it goes verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, Aleph, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, Bet, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, Gimel. This is how it's supposed to look when you read it in Hebrew. It's chapter 1, Aleph, Bet, Gimel. Dalit. You get to chapter 2, and it's Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit. You get to chapter 3, and it's like Aleph, 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 Bet, Bet. It's like, ah, you're on Bet, Gimel, Gimel, Gimel. You get to chapter 4, and it goes Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit. And it drops back down. And when it goes to a less intense arrangement of letters, how does the language go? It goes, how the gold has lost its luster. Now, is this a raging smiter, shake your fist at heaven? No, it's not. This is the morning after. It's after you've, you've let it all out. You've thrown things. You've cried yourself to sleep. It's like a bitter, angry divorce. It's after the lawyers, and you go to sleep, and you wake up the next day, and you're just spent. And you wake up the next day, and you say, how the gold has lost its luster. Chapter 4 is the other side. When you wake up the next day, there's no more crying. You simply know things are never going to go back the way they were before. How the gold has lost its luster. And chapter 4 is after you get fired. And you go and find everybody else that got fired and you get together and you talk crap about your old boss. That's chapter 4. Chapter 4 is maybe your house gets foreclosed upon. It's the day before you're supposed to get out and you pace the backyard and you scream and yell and you pour concrete down your pipes and you get to the next day and it's like, how the gold has lost its luster. This, I'll show you another clip, movie clip. This is what it looks like. This is the house that in the movie Forest Gump that Jenny grows up in that she was abused and she throws rocks, she screams and yells, and then there's no more rocks. She falls down. There's no yelling anymore. All the emotion has been expressed. This is all that's left. The fury has subsided, and now there's stunned and there's spent silence. How the gold has lost its luster. This is after like a car wreck, and you go to the hospital and all the wringing of hands and biting of nails, and this is the post-accident reality. How the gold has lost its luster. That is the poetics of diminishment. That's what this is. The writer has built into the poem, peak, 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 and then sigh how the gold has lost its luster. It's a very tough place to be, but it also can be a place of freedom. The writer goes on in verse 5. He says, Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those nurtured in purple now lie on ash heaps. Verse 7, Their princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. Their bodies more ruddy than rubies. Their appearance like sapphires. But now they are blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Verse 12, The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the world's people, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened. 
Now, when he says in verse 5, those who ate delicacies are destitute in the streets, he is speaking of economic collapse. There is a way the economy worked. People could eat like this to their heart's content, and now that has suffered a blow. He says the princes were brighter than snow. This is how their society was structured. There were princes that ruled. Everybody had their proper place in society. He said there's a way that we used to do things that has all been blasted away, and the princes no longer look like princes. Our very ideas of the structure of government have changed. And then he says this amazing thing. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the world's people, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem, but it happened. They lived with this sense the city could not be conquered. They were Jerusalem. Who's going to stand against them? They thought they were not vulnerable to any outside force. And then the foundation of how they understood themselves crumbled. The rug is pulled out from underneath them. Their compass is off. And you read this and you think, boy, I just wish this had something to say to us today. Right? I think in American culture, we're seeing a lot of this lament, a communal lament. How the gold has lost its luster. The sacred gems are scattered at the head of every street. Many people are losing their houses today, big ones and small ones and little pink ones. Forbes magazine called a few years ago called Santa Barbara County one of the 10 fastest growing places in the U.S. And now we're considered one of the 10 hardest places to find a job. We used to think that we're Californians. We will build houses and ours are the best and they're the biggest and I can afford a house, a gigantic one, and, and, and I can make it work. That's taken a blow, right? Yeah, very much so. The world, innovation, entitlement, jobs, nothing works the way it used to. Everything's downsizing. We are watching a culture in transition, and there is a need to lament that. And yet everybody keeps coming up saying, no, 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 we'll, we'll give you this or that so you don't have to lament it. It is proper and good to lament these things. In our culture of denial, we don't really have the tools to do this properly. So we need to do this communally as a people together to lament, to be able to express the gold has lost its luster. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the world's people, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem, but it happened. Now, many things are changed, but loss is changed. And the poet says, we have lost all sorts of things. And Lamentations 4 is the morning after everything's been lost. The poet is adjusting how he looks at the world around him. And when you lose something profound, and profound change takes place, we must speak of it. Loss is change, but change is also lost. Uh, there's a bizarre way that our brains store memories, and we think about things. I, I have strange memories from when I would a kid, was a kid. I have no idea I remember certain things and don't remember other things. I don't know if anybody's like that but me. I, I remember uh, the first time I saw my mom cry. I remember that vividly. Uh, I remember dancing with my dog, Blackie, when I was like two years old. Blackie was about this tall. I thought Blackie was like this tall. But, you know, I remember dancing with Blackie. I remember uh, my foot getting caught in my dad's spokes on his bicycle when I was a little kid. But I do not remember my parents' divorce. Uh, I, I do not remember my first kiss. I remember my last one. It was this morning before I came down here. It was very nice. Just let you all know. <laughs> but, but it's weird like that. Now, I, in... Who had sixth grade graduation? Anybody have a sixth grade graduation? Okay, you go to sixth grade graduation, you're like 10, 11, 12 years old, however old you are, when you, maybe I held back a few times, maybe you're 50, I don't know. But you know, sixth grade graduation, you go through and it's happy, but it's sad. You're leaving elementary school and it's like, yes, but it's sad because you're leaving some friends behind because not all your friends are going to go to the same school they're going to go to. You have a high school graduation? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> GED, no. High school graduation? All right, put, put that up. This, it's happy. It's like, thank God high school is behind you, but you're entering a whole new way of life. All your friendships change. There are times when I hang out with my friends and I think, man, I've got to enjoy this while I can because it's all going to change. 
I'm not always depressed all the time, but that's kind of what I think. Some of my friends and I, we used to get together once a week. For about a year and a half, we did this. Like Friday nights, we'd get together, we'd, we'd watch a movie or play a game and eat food. and, and get, it, it was great. And then about eight months into it, I thought, this is going to end sometime, so enjoy it while you can. And it stopped a couple of years ago when we haven't done it anymore. If you're one of those people, we should do it again. All right? I'm just, just saying. And there, when, when things change, there's this idea in the back of our minds that there's change and I'm never going back. Even at 10 years old, we begin to understand that. Loss is change. Change is loss, even if the change is good and necessary. This is Lamentations chapter 4. If, if you're a parent in the room and you have a photo album of all of your above average kids, right? And, and you look at these pictures and you have the joy of this, oh, they're growing up, but you also have sadness in there as well. If you've ever said something like, oh, they grow up so fast, that's lament. That's lament. I mean, it's good they're growing up. You don't want your kids to stay 13 forever. It's like, dear God, no, please, not 13 forever. But the growth is good, but it brings sadness because they're changing and leaving certain things behind. And you need to lament that or your kids are going to graduate from college and you're going to be wishing they were eight years old. You've got to lament those things. Maybe you, you do have a job and you get a promotion. It's like corner office. Sweet. How wonderful is that, right? But maybe you spent all your years in like the prairie dog city, you know, the work farm with all the cubicles. And you see it for years with so-and-so on your left and so-and-so on your right. Now, the, the, thing, the change is good. But yet you're also leaving all these other things behind as well. And it is proper and it is good to lament those things. Even salvation. You know, Jesus saves us. God comes to us. He saves us from his judgment, but also from ourselves. And we follow Christ. We die to the way we used to live. We have a whole new way of life. And that is good and it is wonderful and it is true. It brings joy and hope and salvation and restoration. But it brings change. And sometimes it is good and proper to allow ourselves space to lament all the things that we will leave behind. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. When I became a Christian, I was dating this girl. She wasn't very godly. Jesus saves me, and I had to break up with her, and I knew that. But I dated her for a year and a half. Now, is, is that loss after a year and a half? Yeah, it, it's good. Everyone says, oh, it's good for you. You know, the good thing didn't feel so good all the time, but I knew it was right. I wasn't going to change my mind. But it would have been good if someone explained to me the greatness of lament. So I could lament it rather than saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that way because change is a form of loss. I mean, even now we have this thing. Sean Jones, the guy that does music for us, he has been trying to get into an engineering program for the last couple of years. And he just got into one in San Francisco. And so in the, at the middle of August, Sean's actually going to be moving to San Francisco. And so that's, that's loss. That's change. And hopefully he'll feel bad and like he's leaving us and like, oh, it's so much change. You know? But he'll probably be like, whatever, I'm away from that errand, guys. Driving me nuts. You know? but, but we have these forms of loss and change, and they are good to lament those things. Is Sean going and becoming an engineer, taking care of his family, a good thing? Yes, it's a very good thing. But it's sad for us, and we'd hate to see him go. I keep telling him, whenever he talks, I said, you are dead to me. I, <laughs> I actually do say it to him a lot. This is how the gold has lost its luster. Israel is taking away devastation, exile. But was that a good thing for them? It was a very good thing for them, actually. They couldn't see past their own desires and wants. They only saw themselves. They needed this change for their souls. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the world's people, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of the righteous. The narrator brings up the priests. The priests had control of the political system as well as the temple and the house of God that controlled money that came in there. 
When you went to the temple, you brought an offering. The temple treasurer would be loaded with money. The money was to be used to feed and house and clothe the, the priest, but also to help the widow and the orphan and the stranger and the refugee. It was there to be used on behalf of those who were lacking to reflect a God whose heart always breaks for those on the underside of power. But these priests who control the financial system, instead of simply using their proper portion to live on, they took more and more and more, which meant less and less and less could be given to those who needed it. And the temple becomes corrupt from the inside out. The political and religious structures, they begin to fall apart to an outside party comes in and then destroys them. Her prophets and priests shed innocent blood. But there was also other people who didn't stand up and say, this greed is wrong. This has to stop. Those who did stand up and lament were executed because nobody wanted to hear those voices. Sometimes lament can take a form of protest. And don't worry, I'm not going to give you guys signs and tell you to go out to protest or anything. That's not what we do here. But what is being said in Lamentations is that the certain people who were supposed to protest and lament didn't do anything. They didn't say, repent of this greed. Stop this idolatry. And when those few did speak out, they were silenced. They were mocked. They were vilified. And what you see in Lamentations is the absolute necessity it was for God to bring about this tragedy on this people. And necessity it was for them to lament so so they could start to talk about their own sin, but also the sin of the entire nation. Sometimes only by God breaking us will we begin to wake up. And that's part of Lamentations. Now, not to cheapen this whole idea of lament, but I want to show you an example of lament that's totally absurd, but it made me laugh, so I'm going to share it with you, and then we'll pull it all back together. Anybody ever heard of the seat 29E letter? Nobody. Good. It'll be new for you. This is, this is great. Uh, there is a man in seat 29E on a Continental Airlines flight. His seat was located in a very unpleasant place on this plane, and instead of staying quiet, he wrote a letter of lament or complaint about this. I'm going to read it as he wrote it, so don't get offended at me. I ran it by the staff, and they all said, yeah, they can handle it. So if you get, just write letters to them. Not, write letters to Sean Jones. He's leaving anyway. So just, you know. <laughs> Because they all said, oh, yeah, it's fine, it's great. So I'm going to read to you. The guy actually wrote this on airline napkins and mailed it in. So uh, this is it. Just, it's, it's an angry rant, so just go with me. Dear Continental Airlines, I am disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I'm having sitting in seat 29E on one of your aircrafts. As you may know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory, so close that I can reach out my left arm and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It is difficult to say what the worst part about sitting in 29E really is. Is it the stench of the sanitation fluid that is blown all over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh of the constant flushing? Or is it the passenger's asses that seem to fit into my personal space like a pornographic jigsaw puzzle? I construct a distinct shield by shoving one end of a blanket into the overhead compartment. While effective in blocking at least some of the smell and offering a small bit of privacy, the ass on my body factor has increased as without my evil glare, passengers feel free to lean up against what they think is some kind of blanketed wall. The next ass that touches my shoulder will be the last. I am picturing a boardroom full of executives giving props to the young promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats onto this plane by putting them next to the lavatory. So here's an illustration that he did. This is on the napkin. Kate draws the picture. I would like to flush his head in the toilet that I am close enough to touch and taste from my seat. Putting a seat here was a very bad idea. I just heard a man groan in there. This sucks. Here's the next, here's the next picture he drew. He pictured a man's butt in my face. 
Worse yet, as I paid over $400 for the honor of sitting in this seat. Does your company give refunds? I'd like to go back to where I came from and start over. Seat 29E could only be worse if it was located inside the bathroom. I wonder if my clothing, clothing will retain the sanitizing odor. What about my hair? I feel like I'm bathing in a toilet bowl of blue liquid, and there's no, little, no man in a little boat to come save me. I am filled with a deep hatred for your plane designer and a general dis-ease that may last for hours. We are finally descending and soon I will be able to tear down the stink shield, but the scars will remain. I suggest that you initiate immediate removal of this seat from all of your crafts. Just remove it and leave the smoldering brown hole empty. A place for sturdy nominals absorbing luggage maybe, but not human cargo. Nice, right? Say it element would just teach the Bible. That's how it works. Now, why is this entertaining? Because it's a form of resistance. It's, it's protest. It's, it's turned into a sort of, of poetry. He turns something negative into something funny and that becomes invigorating for others. That is the power of lament. Kathleen O'Connor says, Lamentations names what is wrong, what is out of order in God's world, what keeps human beings from thriving. Simple acts of lament expose these conditions, name them, open them to grief and anger, and make them visible for remedy. Now, yes, the plane flight is a little trivial, but what about our personal lives, or even on a national level? Lamentations names what is wrong and what is out of order in God's world. Lamentations is sobs. It is sadness. But it's also protest and resistance and saying what is wrong. How many families do you think where maybe one parent is an alcoholic or they're, they're abusive, if someone simply stood up and said, enough, we will not do this any longer. There's a problem here and we're going to talk about it. Imagine how many businesses where someone's cheating or they're padding accounts and nobody wants to talk about it. There's all this dishonesty. If someone just said, well, no, we're going to talk about this. Lamentation is how we grieve over our sin, but how we also protest what is wrong, how the gold has lost it's luster. When we stay silent in the face of things that should be spoken, it starts to lead to despair because we start to think it will always be this way. Oh, it's never going to get any better. When we just need to honestly say how the gold has lost its luster. Maybe you're in a marriage and you feel like you guys don't respect or love each other anymore. Someone needs to say how the gold has lost its luster so you guys can get it out and begin to talk about it and make the gold shine again. Maybe you're in a friendship and you feel like your friend takes advantage of you all the time. You need to sit down and say how the gold has lost its luster. You need to speak about it so that their friendship can be restored. Maybe you're in a workplace. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you need to think how the gold has lost its luster. And maybe God will give you a new view on your job where you begin to see it as a privilege and not a right. Maybe in your relationship with God, you feel like, I don't know the things I used to know. I don't feel the way I used to feel. Maybe you need to speak how the gold has lost its luster. Because sometimes what happens is we start to take God's grace for granted. Because He's extended more to us than we can ever imagine. And it's not that it's lost the, its luster. It's that we are a people who have refused to step into a relationship so it shines. Maybe the space we need is a place to lament. One of the jobs of communal worship in a church is to offer each other a place to lament. This is why we constantly try to get you into gospel communities, into small groups, because we do this communally with each other so you can talk and laugh about some of the struggles and put those things together so you can be with other people as you lament. Verse 22, the last verse of chapter 4, it says, O daughter Zion, your punishment will end. He will not prolong your exile. I love that he ends like this where he says, Your punishment will end. In the fourth poem, the narrator at the end says, It can't get worse. And when someone says it can't get worse, what they're doing is they're talking about lament. They're naming their pain. And it causes you to be able to start to have some hope. 
If you lose your job, and that is the worst that can happen, well, there's a certain freedom there. Because the worst that happens happened, well, total devastation has to end then. It has to have some place to go. Because when it gets really bad, it gives you an opportunity for it to get really good as well. Because if tomorrow is a new tomorrow, then that makes it new. It's new. In Lamentations, all the horrible has happened. And hope is beginning to return. Two questions for you. Is there any change in your life that you have not properly lamented? Is there any change you have not properly lamented? And the second one, is there anything that needs to be properly protested in your life? Because part of learning to lament is to say enough. And many times there's other people around you waiting to say it. They just want someone to say it first. So maybe you say it first. Who do we speak our lament to? Well, each other. Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we speak to each other. But we also speak to Jesus about it. We speak to God about what's going on. I mean, I can never let you guys leave here without giving you the gospel because you have to understand that Jesus spoke in lament as well. Jesus understands this. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talks to the religious leaders and he says, Woe to you, teachers in law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Woe to you, you shut the kingdom of God in men's faces. Woe to you, blind guides. Woe to you, whitewashed tombs. And in verse 37, he sums it up like this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus laments. Jesus also protests. In every single gospel, he drives the money changers out of the temple as protests. Jesus understands more than anyone what his world was supposed to look like. The glory that he has given to his children is supposed to then be displayed back to him. It is why he lamented. It's why he comes in the flesh to live, to die, to rise from the dead. So we can then be restored to who we are meant to be. His children filled with grace. In the laments that God calls us, we must be a people who surrender. Chapter 2 asks this question. It says, who can heal you? And the answer throughout the scriptures is Jesus. We need to be able to properly lament and say these things, how the gold has lost its luster. But when you say that, allow room for it for it to start to get really, really good as well. Because things can change and things can be different. There's no more past the bottom, past the bottom. It's got to go back up. This morning, what we want to do we want to give you an opportunity if you need to lament there's going to be some deacons and elders in the back and if you feel like there's something in your life you haven't properly lamented we're going to invite you to go back there grab one of them sit down and say how the gold has lost its luster and explain what that looks like to them and let them pray with you and talk with you and maybe begin to help you to find the other side of that the band's going to come up they're going to do a couple songs and as they do these we, we ask that before you take communion you would also take a moment and find out and ask God what things in your life have lost its luster and how those can be changed or fixed and maybe you need to move on to something else and something new. Or maybe just been to put a little more time in the thing that's lost its luster so it starts to shine again. We do offer you communion every single week. You, you take that cracker and you break it, you dip it in the wine of the grape juice like Christ's body and blood that was shed for you and I so that we can be redeemed people who have the ability to lament, but also the ability to move on as new creations in Christ and who He calls us to be. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. So you have that opportunity. 
And then there's also some food and stuff in the back, and we invite you guys to go back there, grab some food, and meet some other people, hopefully connect and get into a small group so you can then start to talk to some other people. Because I will tell you, once I, I, every time I start to lament with somebody about something, I start to talk about it, it usually at some point ends up where I actually laugh and smile about something because I'm able to get it off my chest and we move to something else. And it actually is so healing to do that. You, if you're not in a small group, should be in a small group. Because this, this is part of con- the communal way that God has made us to live as a people. So that we can get together and say how the gold has lost its luster. But also go on to say there is great hope. There is great hope. God will rescue and redeem his people. Let's pray. Father, this morning, it seems that there's a lot of things in our lives that we could say the gold has lost its luster. And I ask that you would help us to be those who properly say those things. And understand that you are then taking us to new places and new heights, that you will bring us back from the place where everything has lost its luster. Father, have us not just be a people who say that, but a people who have the great hope that something can be better. Thank you for speaking great words of truth and honesty through your scriptures of of how you have sent your own whole people into exile so that they can simply grow into the nation that you called them to be. Have us be those who trust you fully. Knowing that in this life we will have trouble. That you promised to redeem us. Father, there is no one like you. No one like our God. Who cares so much that he would discipline his people. And offer us the ability to lament and listen to us. As we cry out how the gold has lost its luster. Restore to us the great hope that is found only in your Son so that we would live and show others that great hope in the midst of their laments. Thank you for being our God and seeking us and saving us. You are more gracious than we could comprehend. So we simply say, thank you. Amen.